and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The dress fell apart at the altar. You got that right. The bride's dress fell apart at the altar. She was naked before the altar and before God. The bride was suing the designer after her $2,000 wedding dress came apart on her big day, leaving her semi-naked at the altar. The 30-year-old woman claimed her big day was ruined by the poor stitching, which left her bottom on display. The bride was left in tears, and the priest was left not knowing where to look. Her lawyer said, this was supposed to be the biggest day of my client's life, but it turned out to be the worst. She was left extremely embarrassed, and her dress came apart at the altar and slid down and revealed her bottom to the whole congregation. And as a result, she decided to sue the shop for moral damages as well as financial damages. Well, the incident was followed by more bad news for the bride because she now is separated from her husband. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction. Talk that transforms and you wonder where that is going. You wonder where that story is going, but here's the situation. You may think how horrific that situation is, but can I tell you that on Judgment Day, your dress is coming off. That's right, and you are going to stand naked before God, before him with whom we have to do, the Scripture says, because he sees it all. He's going to see your naked bottom, and he's going to see your naked heart. He's going to see it all. And, quite frankly, it's going to be most embarrassing, but more than that, it's going to be hor horrifying because it's going to imply that perhaps things are not going to get better but are going to get worse, and you may find yourself actually separated or divorced from the one you thought you were married to, the Lord himself. Well, just thinking out loud. Just thinking out loud, because today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about virtue. We're going to be talking about virtue. The Apostle Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1 that we should add to our faith virtue. Add to your faith virtue. You thought to claim faith by confessing Christ as your Savior was all that it took. But the Apostle Peter said no. Uh, you've got to add to your faith virtue, because if the virtue isn't there, your faith really isn't there either. In fact, the Apostle Peter said that if you'll add to your faith virtue, and then all of the other things that he lists, you will never fall. 
But if you don't add those things, the implication is you're likely to fall. Fall from what? Fall from grace and fall out from under your relationship with the one you thought you were married to. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe you never thought about it that way, but let's take a look at this with regard to our country, with regard to our nation. We'll try to get out of the theological weeds here for a moment and take a look at this matter of virtue with regard to our nation. How important is virtue? Well, one thing we know is that virtue is colorblind. But virtue reveals character. It reveals character, but not our color. So I was thinking back as we were getting ready to do this program here today about a musical that came to America back in the 1970s. It was a a group called Up With People. And uh, they sang a song that went like this. What color is God's skin? What color is God's skin? Is neither black nor white. Red, brown, yellow, black or white. Because every man's the same in the good Lord's sight. So when we talk about color, we're not talking about virtue. When we talk about virtue, we're not talking about color. We're talking about character. And we're going to find an application for this that could change America. It could change all of the fighting and uh, uh, chaos and uh, the horrific things that are taking place, ripping up our cities. It could change it all. If only we could fill the virtue vacuum. Fill the virtue vacuum. And so today we're going to talk about filling that virtue vacuum. It was the... Only remaining signer, the longest living signer, that is the Declaration of Independence's name, was Charles Carroll. And uh, he has some very interesting observations concerning the country. But he said this, without morals, a republic cannot subsist. Those decrying the Christian religion are actually undermining the republic. And the Christian religion is the best security with its morals of free governments. Now, he was a Catholic. He was the last living signer of the Declaration of Independence. But let's not leave it at that. Let's talk about some others. Let's talk about Benjamin Franklin. Actually, let's talk about Sam Adams. Sam Adams was considered kind of the the voice of the American Revolution. And uh, he said... That righteousness exalts a nation. He was quoting the Bible, of course. And then he said that public liberty will not long survive the total extinction of morals. He referred to the Roman Empire. He says the historian in the Roman Empire says that it would have sunk even if the Goths and Visigoths had not invaded it. Why? Because the Roman virtue was sunk. So, Sam Adams went on to say, could, could we be assured 
that America would remain virtuous? He said, I would venture to defy the utmost efforts of enemies to subjugate her if we remained virtuous. So here's my question for you today. Have we remained virtuous? Are we a virtuous people? Are we a virtuous nation? What do you think? Do the facts reveal it on the ground? Do the statistics reveal it on the ground? Probably not. Probably not at all. Sam Adams was elected governor of Massachusetts, and he wrote a letter in 1779 warning that a general dissolution of the principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of the common enemy. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued, but once they lose their virtue, they will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. Wow. We'll be back. I think we're at that point. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're looking to fill the virtue vacuum, and indeed there is a vacuum, and nature abhors a vacuum. So if there's a virtue vacuum, that virtue vacuum is going to be filled by something else. Indeed it is. All you have to do is look around you, watch your television for 10 minutes, listen to the radio, read your newspaper, and you'll see that the virtue vacuum has been filled and is being filled even the more so by anarchy and chaos and uh, hatred and just every conceivable vice. So it was a Democratic president, Harry S. Truman, who made a simple, a very uh, important statement. He said, without a firm moral foundation, freedom degenerates quickly into anarchy. So everybody wants to cry freedom and liberty, freedom and liberty of my rights. The problem is it's all turned into anarchy and chaos. Why? Because we've lost the moral foundation. And the moral foundation is what gives rise to the virtue of the country. The first chief justice of America, John Jay, made this statement, a nation without public virtue is betrayed by their own representatives. A nation without public virtue is betrayed by their own representatives. Now, the first Chief Justice, John Jay, was also president of the American Bible Society. Isn't that interesting? So from his perspective, the Bible was at the root of whether or not Liberty could be maintained in America. And it had to be displayed with public virtue by our elected leaders. Question, 
Is that what you see among our leaders today? Hardly. For you folk in Pennsylvania, founded by William Penn, who made the famous statement, no cross, no crown. In other words, if you're not willing to take up your cross daily as Jesus did, you're not willing, you're not able to be my disciple. No cross, no crown. But William Penn was a very serious fellow. And he made a statement that a loose and depraved people love laws and an administration like themselves. He said, establish laws as shall be best preserved, true Christian and civil liberty in opposition to all unchristian practices. That's William Penn, right there in Pennsylvania. Again, a loose and depraved people love laws and an administration like themselves. In other words, misery loves company or birds of a feather flock together. But, You should establish laws as shall best preserve true Christian and civil liberty in opposition to all unchristian practices. Why? Because that's the only way you're going to have a virtuous people. Fisher Ames sat next to George Washington in the pew of St. Paul's Chapel in New York during the religious service following Washington's presidential inauguration and he helped ratify the U.S. Constitution. He was a congressman from Massachusetts. So those of you in Massachusetts, listen up. He commented on the dangers of American liberty. In 1805, he said, The known propensity of a democracy is to licentiousness, which is the ambitious call and the ignorant believe to be liberty. In other words, when you do everything just the what you want to do with disregard for what God wants, then you actually have engaged in not liberty, but licentiousness. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. So to Fisher Ames, what doomed the American experiment was the democratic destruction of morals. Ames believed that justice and morality in America would fail and popular rule could not support justice without which moral, when moral habits fall away. When moral habits fall away. And at age 46, Fisher Ames was elected Harvard's president. He was one of the most famous orators in Congress, Fisher Ames. And in the Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge, he is quoted, No man ever did or ever will become truly eloquent without being a constant reader of the Bible and an admirer of the purity and sublimity of its language. So what happens to democracy without morals? It collapses. It disintegrates. And that's what we need to talk about here on the program today because Sam Adams, who was elected as governor of Massachusetts, in his letter in 1779 warned, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners have become universally corrupt. In other words, without virtue. 
Charles Krauthammer, the late Charles Krauthammer, made a statement back about, uh, oh, 2002, somewhere in that range. And he said there's a strange thing happening in America that the people seem or pretend that they want virtue and they want leaders who are virtuous. But he says there's a strange thing going on. The pursuit of virtue while living a life of vice is called hypocrisy. So that when the people want virtuous leaders and they themselves are not living virtuously, it's just total hypocrisy. Isn't that what's happening in America? Isn't that what's happening all over the country? I have in my hands a fantastic license plate. Actually, it was designed, I guess, to go on the rear of a car or the front of a car. It is a, uh, a beautiful, beautiful piece uh, in aluminum. And uh, it has a horse on each side with an eagle in the front and the emblem of Pennsylvania in the front. In fact, this is the motto of Pennsylvania. And here it is. Virtue, liberty, and independence. Virtue, liberty, and independence. When was the last time you heard virtue and liberty and independence lined up together? I dare say, probably not in your lifetime. Why? Because there's a virtue vacuum in America, big time. Edmund Burke, who was considered the most influential orator in the House of Commons there in England, said of the French Revolution, what is liberty without virtue? It's madness without restraint. Liberty without virtue is madness without restraint. Would you like to know what's going on in Minnesota, Minneapolis? Would you like to know what's going on in Portland? Would you like to know what's going on in uh, uh, the various places, whether it's Michigan or whether uh, it doesn't matter, all over the country? Would you like to know what's really going on there? It's madness without restraint. Because the people have abandoned virtue. They're claiming their madness without restraint as freedom. But it is not. It's not this difficult to understand. So we're going to make application to this a little bit later on in the program to what's happening and why so many black young men and even gals are being shot. Now, in reality, the statistics show that it's not nearly like it's being portrayed by the media. That's being used to manipulate, to try to stir up more animosity because the media are not virtuous. They don't even try. If they were virtuous, they would be honest but they're not. They don't even try. They have an agenda. They want to stir you up to more hatred, not to goodness and virtue, but to hatred. 
and divisiveness. They want to corrupt the country because they have a bigger, bigger agenda. And that is to convert the country into a socialistist, communistic system that can be merged into a new global order more easily and more quickly without any requirement for virtue. That's their agenda. If you don't understand that, you're going to live in a world of delusion. So why are so many black young men and young women finding themselves in a position of confrontation with police officers? What's even bringing them to that position? Is it the police officers? Or is it something else? We're going to talk about that in the second half of the program. Somewhere down the line in the second half of the program. Because Walter Williams, a black man, before he passed, wrote this column. The black community needs a return to virtue. Wow. I didn't say that. A black Economist said that the black community needs a return to virtue. Would you like to find out a statistical and factual basis for that statement? Are you really interested to know what Walter Williams referred to? Then I urge you to go to our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. And on that website, you will find fact sheets. I urge you to go to fact sheets. And there you will find about a dozen. And among them is a fact sheet called a portrait of the black family. A portrait of the black family. And I have a copy of it right in front of me on the broadcast desk. And the thing about it is that it reveals something going on and that has been going on in the black community that explains why there's such confrontation with police. It's not hard to understand at all. A portrait of the black family. Our last update was the 2017 edition. We need to update it, but for all practical purposes, it is up to date. A black leader, Dr. Julian Hare, director of the San Francisco Black Think Tank, used the 50th anniversary edition of Ebony Magazine, a a black magazine written by blacks for the black community. He used that as the means to basically tell the black community exactly what Walter Williams said. The black community needs a return to virtue. He said that the black family has crumbled more in the last 30 years than it did in the entire 14 decades since slavery. In fact, another black columnist for the Washington Post wrote, there is a crisis of unprecedented magnitude in the black community that goes to the very heart of its survival. 
He said the black family is failing. Why? Because it's abandoned virtue. That's why. It's very simple. Abandoned virtue. What happens when you abandon virtue? You fill it with vice. And everything that is up, uh, what should we say, discombobulating to peaceful life and society. I urge you to get a copy of that uh, fact sheet. It's on our website, saveus.org, a portrait of the black family. You're going to find that every single one of the things that are set forth there are coming from black writers and authors. Every one of them. Not from me. They're coming from black writers and authors. And you're going to find why things are the way they are. Therefore, if we want to change, change that we can believe in, we've got to return to virtue. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. When was the last time you heard someone use the word virtue? I'll bet it's about the same time, the last time when you heard the phrase, the fear of the Lord. You see, when you stop fearing the Lord, you begin to shed virtue. You begin to shed virtue in your life because you've abandoned the moral authority that God had in your life. And then you begin increasingly to do that which is right in your own eyes or have the culture redefine what is right and what is wrong. So America was once known as the land of virtue. Did you know that? In fact, it was the very element that bound us together. That's what we were known as, the land of virtue. It was a necessary part of true liberty and independence. And that's why in the banners of America, the words liberty and independence were linked But what is virtue anyway? It's not a plague. But you would think it was, by listening to some people, virtue is actual moral goodness. Notice the word moral. It has to be based on a moral foundation. Virtue is living out the moral foundation in your life and then collectively as we the people do so. It's moral goodness. But it's not defined by your definition of morality or by 
the Democrat Party's definition of morality or the Republican Party's definition of morality or anybody else's definition. It's by God's declaration of morality. In other words, what he says goes. Father's word is law in the household of faith and was in America. So virtue is not a plague. It's morally sound behavior. Virtuous behavior is that which seeks the best for those around us. It's not self-serving, but other-serving. And it's the outward display of inward character. Now, we're not supposed to go out and try to be characters. We're supposed to reveal character, righteous character, virtuous character. So virtue is colorblind, but virtue reveals our character, not our color. We we need to get that straight. Otherwise, we're going to get all caught up with the issue of racism when we start to apply this in trying to be helpful within the dilemma that black America is facing while the media and certain political forces are seeking to stir up racism to accomplish their nefarious political agendas. Did you know, by the way, that the Statue of Liberty uh, was kind of known as America's lighthouse? And uh, when Eric Bartoldi conceived that statute, he was a Frenchman, when he conceived that statute, you know what he called it? Liberty enlightening the world. That's what he called it, liberty enlightening the world. But what it really became was a beacon radiating the light of liberty and virtue as far as the eye could see. That's how it was seen. But it's fallen on very hard times. In fact, if you were to read in my book, Renewing the Soul of America, the entire introductory chapter is called If I Could Speak. And it's speaking as if the Statue of Liberty herself is speaking out loud. It's personifying the Statue of Liberty and the troubles that she has gone through physically as America has gone through those troubles morally and spiritually. I can't tell you how many people have told me that when they read that chapter, they broke down and wept. They just broke down and wept. Maybe you would too. It's gripping. It's one of the reasons why 38 national Christian leaders endorsed this book, Renewing the Soul of America. It's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. There's an entire chapter called The Lamp of Virtue. This book gives answers, real answers. It's not a finger-pointing book. It's a real answer book to our national dilemma and for our families and us individually for our churches. That's why 38 national Christian leaders endorsed it. And I think it would be of great encouragement to you and filled with hope as you get it and read it. You might even want to share uh, multiple copies with your pastor and others because it has sort of a contagious element to it. 
You won't have to wear a mask to share it because it's good. It's virtuous. $15 on our website, saveus.org. Renewing the soul of America. You can give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. But the light of American liberty and virtue has grown very dim. And, unfortunately and lamentably, our country, America, is gaining a reputation throughout the world for vice rather than virtue. So, this came as a surprise. Back in 1992, the headline of the 75th anniversary edition of America's premier business magazine, Forbes, had this title, A Demoralized Society. A Demoralized Society. I want to share some quotations from that with you. I still have that magazine. It's about a half an inch thick. It's amazing. Pointing out in 1992, the very year that the Lord spoke to my heart that I had been pleading the cause of men long enough and that he wanted me to plead his cause of the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation here at America's Greatest Crisis Hour. That very year. And you'll see why. Because the year 1992-1993 were the fulcrum years for this country. Everything has gone downhill from that time. Here are some of the quotes. Moral concepts, still more moral judgments, are understood to be somehow undemocratic and unseemly. Now, we pride ourselves on being liberated from such retrograde Victorian notions. Today, we have so completely rejected the Victorian ethos that we deliberately, systematically divorce morality from public policy. In the current climate of moral relativism and skepticism, it is thought improper to impose any moral conditions or requirements. We're now confronting the consequences of this policy of moral neutrality. We're discovering that the economic and social aspects of these problems are inseparable from the moral and psychological ones, and we have, having made the most determined effort to devise remedies that are value-free, we find that these policies imperil the material as well as the moral well-being of their intended beneficiaries, and not only of individuals, but of the whole society as well. In fact, we have demoralized society. Now, I want to share with you uh, one of the mechanisms by which this took place intentionally. <clears throat> From 1967 through 1975, I was a public school teacher during the Vietnam War in California. During that time, it was the most dangerous, upheaval moment in American history and in American education. It was horrific. Everything was changing. Morals were changing. The 1960s brought the sexual revolution and a complete rebellion against all authority. And amid this, 
the educational system in our country, those who are heading up from our universities and colleges infected the entire educational system with a moral or immoral virus called values clarification. It started in the 19, early 1970s, values clarification. Now, the term may have sounded to most people as if it was a good thing. Who does it? Why should we not clarify values? The problem is that's not what they were about at all. It was not about values clarification. It was about values extermination and substituting for other non-biblical values. That's what the purpose was. It was a radical effort to completely undermine all moral authority, God's authority, in fact, also parental authority. And they called it values clarification. So in the pursuit of, when you hear somebody, a politician say, our values, our values, our values, Barack Obama was famous for that. What you did not know was what he meant by that. He was not talking about your values. He wasn't talking about biblical values. He was talking about a whole new dispensation of values that were devoid of God's authority and substituting an entirely new, virtueless moral agenda to undo the very foundations of this country. That was his purpose. And for doing that, he was heralded as a Messiah. One educator actually said he was her Jesus. I want you to think about that. All for abandoning truth and virtue and biblical morality. Where do we go from here on this? Virtue is not a four-letter word, but you would think it was. And how about its application to the black community? We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. What happens when there is a virtue vacuum? Something will always fill the vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. 
it will be filled, and it will not be filled by godliness. It will not be filled by goodness. It will not be filled by godly character, but just the opposite. And the unfortunate thing is that over the past 40 years, 50 years in America, the collective efforts of those who were in positions of authority and cultural creation, shall we say, whether it was entertainment or university and college instruction, all of them have conspired or confederated together to destroy virtue in America. Why? Because they despised authority. You might think, well, you're kind of going a little too far. In 1991, a book came out called The Day America Told the Truth. It was written by two secular advertising agents. They had done a study on what Americans believe, not what they want you to think they believe, but what they really do believe in their hearts. One of the chapters asked the question, who's the new moral authority in America? You know what their answer was? You are, partner, you are. In other words, every man has become the ultimate and final arbiter both of truth and of morality and of virtue, and therefore every man does right, that which is right in his own eyes, which is exactly the opposite of the way things were when this country was founded. Forty years after George Washington, in his farewell address, warned the fledgling nation that of all the dis dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. He said, let us indulge with caution the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect the national morality or virtue can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. In other words, biblical authority based upon God's authority. That's what he meant. Forty years later, Alexis de Tocqueville, a secular Frenchman, came over from not-so-jolly old France, having come to observe the prosperity that he had been seeing in America. What he discovered, he said, Writing in his book, Democracy in America, it belongs, what belongs to the whole nation, to every rank of society? The Christian faith, he said. Christian morality is everywhere the same. That was the foundation for virtue. He, he said there is no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. That was in 1840. So virtue and morality require a base, a foundation. And they're rooted in the laws of nature, and nature's God. So Noah Webster, founder of American education, Noah Webster, made this statement. The moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. Why? Listen carefully. 
because he said all the miseries which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising and neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. Now, our whole nation is wallowing in misery and chaos and fear because we have collectively abandoned virtue. And because we have collectively abandoned virtue, which is the reflection of biblical morality from God's viewpoint, we are seeing the disintegration of our country. And that doesn't, that's not a matter of color. That's a matter of character. Because virtue reveals character, not color. Virtue itself is colorblind. On the other hand, I want to speak to my brothers and sisters who happen to have black skin. In 2005, the Holy Spirit spoke to me so profoundly and shook me up. He said, son, I want you to plead the cause of black America. I want you to do everything you can to plead my cause in black America. And so I have. In 2005, we put together our first fact sheet called A Portrait of the Black Family. We've updated it periodically about every two or three years since then. I brought together black pastors in our home. People that I had known, a dozen of them to talk about the issues facing the black community in the broader Richmond, Virginia area, which is the birthplace of the nation, on the shores of the James. I shared with them this fact sheet and all of the articles that supported it. They had pledged to join for five weeks one night a week for five weeks to take whatever time was necessary to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation to truly make a difference in this city because industry was looking at Richmond, Virginia as the premier testing ground of America, saying, brother, if it'll work in Richmond, it'll work anywhere. So we did. And they came together, and I'll never forget the first two times as we came together, we spent like uh, three or four hours together in the evening. We served a meal because I believe that uh, breaking bread breaks barriers. I think it's a, it's a God thing to do, and that's what we did. And uh, it was either the first or second meeting, I think it was the first one actually, after a couple of hours of going through these various articles from black leaders and so on, one of the pastors fell on his face quietly and just stayed on his knees for about 15 minutes. Nobody said anything. He got up and he said, I need to speak. 
And here's what he said. My family looks just like this portrait of black America. What did that look like? The absence of virtue. The absence of biblical virtue. While going to church and clapping the hands and jumping and shouting and shouting hallelujah, it wasn't being translated into virtuous living. He said, my family looks just like this fact sheet. Wow. You could have heard a pin drop. The next thing that happened was that across the room, in the back of the room, and I'll never forget this, a uh, the pastor of a large black congregation in the metropolitan region of Richmond, Virginia, leaned back in his chair, put his hands behind his head, and this is what he said. If we're not willing to talk to our own families about these issues, we have no right to talk to our congregations. I would say that would be true, because otherwise you'd be a hypocrite. What he was actually saying is, my family, my extended family, looks just like this fact sheet. After three of the five meetings, there were only three of the 12 pastors left. They were not willing to speak to their families. They didn't want to face the virtuelessness in their own community. They wanted to continue to play a religious let's pretend game. But unfortunately, like the story that we opened the program with today about the woman, the bride standing before the entire church, the priest, her whole dress came unraveled and her derriere became exposed to everyone. That's what's happened to the black community. In fact, it's happened everywhere, but I'm talking specifically now to the black community because you are proclaimed to be the most religious community in the country. So what ha- it has been said that what happens in black America in one generation happens in all America in the next. That's power. It's either power for destruction or power for purity and virtue. And the choice is yours. We're looking at something here that is of such great moment, so serious, that we dare not hide from it anymore. Even Newsweek magazine commented, about uh, 18 years ago, talking about this matter of a virtuous society, that the true test of our character is not the laws we pass, but the lives that we lead. And that's true. So then what do you make of the fact that 70% of all black children are born out of wedlock? What do you make of the fact that the, the black community has the highest divorce rate in of all people groups? What do you make of that? That's not caused by color. 
That's caused by the lack of character and the lack of virtue. Somehow, there has developed a rationalization that we can be religious without being righteous. Now, if that be true, what's going to happen when you stand before the God of history and creation? And he's going to judge us. He's going to judge. In fact, Christ himself is going to judge the world in righteousness. Are you going to look like that bride? Naked before God? Ashamed? Hiding? Friends, this is serious stuff. Walter Williams was right. Black columnist, just before he passed, he said the black community needs to return to virtue. In matters of race and other social phenomena, he said there's a tendency to believe that what is seen today has always been for black people, the socioeconomic Economic progress achieved during my lifetime, he said, which started in 1936, exceeded anyone's wildest dreams. He said in 1936, most black people lived in gross material poverty and racial discrimination. Such poverty and discrimination is all but non-existent today, except is stirred up by the media. Government data, he says, shows that the average American family, identified as poor by the Census Bureau, lives in an air-conditioned, centrally heated house or apartment. They have a car, a truck, at least one widescreen TV connected to cable, satellite or streaming service, a computer, a tablet with Internet connection, and a smartphone. He says today, the poverty we have in the black community is spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty is the absence of what traditionally has been known as virtue. Is anybody listening? Get a copy of my book, Renewing the Soul of America. It'll be very helpful to you. It's an $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Also go to the fact sheets on the website, saveus.org. A portrait of the black family will bring you to tears and prayer. It's the only hope for America. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. 